What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. What's going on, guys? The guest on this week's episode of the podcast is nothing shy of amazing, and he has made quite the impact on his real estate investing career at a very young age and in a very short amount of time. You'll be blown away by the amount of traction that he has made already, and I'm very excited to see what is next for him. There is so much value and pure knowledge to be learned from his real experiences from this episode. Some of the topics that we dug deep into are how he started his real estate career at 18 years old, doubling the size of a real estate club in college, scooping up 12 units in the same area, and much, much more. Let's jump right into the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 48 of the Creating Wealth podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure of chatting with Michael Horath, an amazing Worcester-based agent on the Candor team, as well as a multifamily investor that has made an incredible impact in a very short amount of time. What's going on, Michael? How are you, man? What's new? Uh, Kyle, I'm good. It is a sweaty, hot Friday the 13th here in Worcester. <laughs> yeah. My one window AC is cranking, and I am ready for this podcast and excited. Awesome, man. Yep, I definitely feel that over here in Tuxbury. <laughs> this is a hot one. Uh, yeah, so to jump right into things, man, you know, what initially got you into real estate? You know, what gave you the, the spark? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I started in real estate when I was 18 years old. Ooh, and nice. Yeah, it was, it was good. I moved in with my brother for the summer. He lived in Watertown mm-hmm. outside of Boston. And he was a rental agent. It was my senior year and I was going to school the next year, but you know, I said, let's do this. Let's do this for a summer. It'll be a good time. And I was kind of his assistant. So helping him look through apartments, take pictures, post advertisements, talk to landlords, you know, just your run of the mill rental agent stuff. Got my license that summer. And uh, then when I went to school, I was involved in the real estate club at UMass Lowell. We actually helped start it. And that was a good time. UMass Lowell, I spent three semesters there. And then I eventually actually dropped out of UMass Lowell. And in that period, my sophomore year spring to through the summer, I was doing real estate full time in Boston. I was renting apartments out. And uh, 19 years old, you know, beat up minivan (laughs) and just having a good experience with that. Um, I actually was partnered with a good friend of mine uh, who's now my roommate. So we had a good, good experience there. Um, You know, it was fairly successful. Um, We did have that August. We were the top agents in our office. Oh, my God. The pair of us. But that's only because I think everyone else went on vacation. So. So, you know, we had a good experience with that. And then that fall, I went to Northeastern University and I was still involved as a rental agent here and there, Um, rented a couple apartments to friends, but mostly, you know, just getting involved in the real estate club at Northeastern and then also getting co-ops with the Northeastern program. Mm -hmm. So my first co-op, I wasn't really sold on real estate. So I did a co-op in consulting and that was the benefit of being 21 and the co-op was in LA. So moved to Los Angeles, spent eight months there and it was just a good experience, but it wasn't really real estate related. And then when I got back, I was like, all right, let's, let's pick real estate. Let's focus on it. The reason why I did that is because I saw real estate as an avenue where I could create wealth. I could start a business. I could, um, you know, it was a good path for me to to get involved like I, I always thought if i'm gonna get if I'm, if I'm gonna try and make money if i'm gonna work for money i might as well do something that i enjoy where i get to talk to people of all different backgrounds and then i might as well do something where there is a real good path to creating wealth so at that point i started to really get involved in real estate at the northeastern real estate club i got involved i was a vice president of programming so in that role we took our club from about 30 members to about 60. And my role doing that was all booking speakers and planning events. Mm-hmm. 
So that was a really good experience, just talking to all these people on the Boston real estate scene and then getting them as speakers into our club and just building connections, building relationships. That was uh, really good. And then I had that experience of planning events and I eventually became the president of the real estate club there. And it was this crazy semester where I had a co-op in a role in real estate. I'll talk about it in a little bit. And then I was the president of two clubs at the same time. And when I was at the real estate club in Northeastern, we took it from about 60 members to 100 members. And then we had like 40 events in like three months. So oh it was God. just it was just absurd. But we got a lot of reps and I had a really good team. Uh, a lot of people that it was great to see them kind of grow in that role as we took this club to the next level. We won a couple of awards at Northeastern too. So, you know, and these are 100 members. These were people that paid dues. So we had more members that were just kind of participants. And these, But these were the 100 people that said, you know, we're interested enough that we'll shell out 10 bucks. And maybe it was the free pizza. Maybe it was the good events. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we had a good good program there that we we put on. And so while I was doing that, I decided, all right, let's do this real estate thing. So I got a co-op in real estate. And Northeastern is really good with this co-op program where you take your semester off and you work full time. Mm-hmm. So in this, in this role I had, it was really, really cool real estate role. It was at Northland Investment Corporation. They're a family office based out of Newton, Mass. Mm-hmm. And they're, I think, number 32 for the largest multifamily owner in the country. So they have like over 25,000 units. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a huge operation. And my role was really special because I was on the acquisitions team. And the way the company was run is they have a CEO, uh, Larry Gottesiner, who started the company. And then he's kind of a little more hands-off as his son, Matthew Gottesiner, took over um, and got more involved. And so Matthew was the CIO, Chief Investment Officer, and he was the head of our acquisitions team. And there was like only six of us, I think, on the team. So it was like his office, you know, he's basically running most of the company, a lot of making a lot of investment decisions and talking to investors. And like, he's right here. And then three feet away is my desk. So like, I was right there as all these cool decisions were being discussed. And it was a really good experience. I was just chugging numbers in Excel, uh, underwriting deals all across the country, talking to brokers. So I'd be calling people up in like Texas and they're talking about these multifamilies they got outside of Austin, where we were a really big player. And I was talking to guys in Florida, California, Utah, Chicago, um, and then locally too, I was touring some buildings. So it was a really good experience of seeing all these different markets and getting exposure to different markets. And that kind of helped form my decision when I eventually started to think about making my own investments. I was able to think more about the market strategically from a national perspective, which isn't something that you get in your day-to-day role as like a real estate agent so that was that was great um and then i stayed in the real estate club and then uh we had this speaker nate cochran who's um he was vice president of finance at this company winstanley enterprises and he was teaching us financial modeling and then i um you know i hit him up after and uh, he, he told us about an internship that he had available at his company so I, I got involved, um, you know, I messaged him, tried to get that internship. I actually interviewed for it with competing with a couple of kids from my club for that, that role. But fortunately, when you're the president of the club, you know, it helps a little <laughs> bit in the competitive process. Yeah. So I was able to secure that role. And I started there as an intern in the summer of 2019. So I had like four days off from Northland. I took four day break and then I went to this new role. So the last couple of years, I haven't really had a lot of time off. It's just been go, go, go. So that was one time where I, you know, I, like that, I took that quick transition and then I started the next role. I worked there full time for the summer, stayed there for the fall. They gave me a job offer, which was great. So then I continued in that role. Uh, in January, I started full time. I can give you a little bit of, I'll, I'll share a little bit about that role because I think it's, it's been a good experience for me. So I'm a financial analyst at Win Stanley. And they're a commercial real estate developer. They're actually the largest landlord in Connecticut. They have a, a very large, like 10 million square foot industrial portfolio. So that's where I spent a lot of my time is underwriting industrial deals, uh, touring properties in Connecticut. Also, you know, the whole New England area. Um, we have a lot of industrial, but we also have some retail assets. And we have a very, very big life science arm in, in Yale, with mm-hmm. Yale and New Haven, Connecticut. 
So, you know, I do get to see some life science as well. And then, you know, we're a pretty nimble operator at that company. We are um, kind of our role is we're like a medium-sized company. We have 60 employees, but we have our own property management team, construction team, acquisitions team, accounting. So we'll work with a large institutional investor and we'll find them a deal. We'll keep 10%, we'll put in 10% of the equity, raise 90% of the equity, and then purchase buildings and do a, a value-add strategy. So that's been really good to see like how different partnership splits work, syndications, um, different investment strategies, working with institutional investors, buying institutional assets, selling institutional assets, buying value-add assets, and that kind of stuff. So that's been a great role. I've been there almost two years now. And then um, that's kind of like my professional career. Mm -hmm. And that's all that. Um, then I guess uh, introduce my personal investment career. So I started, I graduated, right when I graduated, I started that role. I started looking for my first property. I looked in Lowell for a while. I had two deals under agreement, but I walked away during the inspection period on both of them. I feel you. Was, yeah. Found it. I think you had that same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to, it's scary the first couple of times. And then you hear something like foundation or structural concerns and you're, you know, it's very scary. Definitely. This inspector, I think he told me that it was the worst basement he's ever seen. Oh, no. And you don't really want to hear your home inspector tell you no. that. I was, I, but the thing is with these deals, I tried to make them work. So I heard that. And then I started immediately thinking about, okay, how do we make this work? So I had more inspections. I tried to negotiate price reductions. I tried to raise, like, see what I could do to raise outside money to take on some of these issues. And I really, you know, pushed the deal as hard as I could, but eventually both of them, I just had to walk away. And then at that point I, I looked in Worcester. I'd always been interested in Worcester. I thought it was a great up and coming market, central, central Massachusetts, uh, second biggest city in New England, huge academic back, um, you know, 11, 12, 13 universities. You have, um, you know, a lot of, of government roles. There's some manufacturing gear and you're starting to see a lot of pharmaceutical companies and bio companies move West. Mm -hmm. So I just knew there was a lot of growth. And so, um, you know, I think it was my second open house or my second day of open houses. I found this property on Green Hill Parkway. It was a big triple decker, four bedroom, three bedroom, three bedroom, 4,500 square feet, just massive building and yeah. uh, got it under agreement. It was not an easy transaction. I think the listing agent at one point called my agent and was crying because it was such a, just so much oh, going no. on. Yeah. I was a pretty tough bargainer. Um, so I negotiated some sour credits, got the deal done. And then my brother moved in with me. We saw the house next door, another very similar profile, four bed, four bed, four bed, massive 4,500 square foot house. Funny story with this deal, but long story short, we bought that one. And then I had an off market deal nearby a four family. And that one, it took a while to close because there was a tenant that was being evicted. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I did the first one with a Freddie Mac owner-occupied loan. And then I did the second one also with another owner-occupant loan about 10 months later. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a difficult underwriting process to, you know, why do I need a new house so close? <laughs> um, but we gave them enough reasons that convinced them. Yeah. It was the same bank that did both. So that was a good, you know, it was good uh, confirming that it was legit. And then... Um, so I closed on that four family back in May. That's where I am now. And then I, my brother and I just bought another three family last week. This one was a lot more straightforward. It was a, yeah, thanks. Um, investment loan on this one. And this one was another crazy long deal. It took like 10 months from our first offer. And then eight months after we signed PNS to close. And which was good was because it was fully occupied yep. when we bought it. And then two of the tenants moved out during that ridiculously long closing period. And so we were able to buy it with two units vacant. So basically I've just been running around like a crazy person for the last week. And then probably for the next few weeks while we lease it up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every one of those stories, every one of those roles, every one of those, every one of those is more is the whole thing, but that's, that's the real high level 
but also that's pretty thorough. So that's kind of everything I've done in real estate. Yeah. That's insane, man. There's so many things I want to get into, but I'll, I'll keep it kind of short. <laughs> yeah, no like, worries. We can deep dive or do whatever. <laughs> yeah, like even from the beginning, man, like with the, um, you know, the real estate clubs and stuff in college, like that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you kind of, like, did you just kind of get together with like, um, you know, one of your roommates or something or like, you know, some of your buddies and just kind of realized that there wasn't really like an organized, um, like club kind of thing. And you're like, hey, you know, let's start one. Yeah. So at UMass Lowell, that's where we started the club. Yeah. And I was just a freshman. Yeah. And I was so new, but I had a friend that was a, you know, a visionary type. Yep. We always yep. call him the future CEO. So that was like his first name, future CEO, last name. <laughs> and so it was really his idea. Yeah. And I was, you know, I helped sign and I got signed up. I think I was our treasurer. So at that point, you know, I knew I was into real estate. I had my license, but it wasn't really a focus. Or yeah. necessarily a passion. So at that point, um, you know, that was a little more just knowing the right people. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy, man. And then to do that and then move on to, you know, Northeastern a little while after and do the same thing. Was there a club at Northeastern already? Or did you just kind of like franchise it, I guess you could say? Yeah. Well, the <laughs> Northeastern club, it was there. And yeah. it was a good community of upperclassmen. Yep. But the club was small. I mean, we would have 10 people at a meeting maybe. Yeah. And that was a good meeting. They had some really good events though. They had, they had a, they had a couple of events where you had like 30, 40 people. And uh, they had a president that was, he was a little ahead of his time where he was like putting on these really high level events, but there wasn't really a lot of attendance for him. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was, we had some really good stuff, but it wasn't very popular at the time. Mm-hmm. That's nuts, man. You know, just to be like doing that kind of thing like that early, you know, and then to be able to take those meetups and double them, you know, like just, just the skills and the, um, you know, like the education, like that early is, is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Like a role like that event planning is, there's a, there's a lot to it. You know, you have to get everything right Mm -hmm. and it's all in the preparation. So you do all this. That's one of the things I learned. You do all this stuff up front. You get everything ready. You coordinate the food. You have you make sure your whole team knows what they have to do. You have all of the decorations and stuff. You get the speaker ready. And if you miss any detail, you know you you plan it. But then like an like then the day before the meeting, you have to make sure it's lined up. And then the hour before the meeting, you have to make sure it's lined up. And then at that point, once everything's lined up, it's just smooth. But you know you miss any piece and it just falls apart. So you really have to get everything executed. Yeah. Now, were these meetings that you would have like, um, you know, like a, I guess like a traditional kind of meetup, like you would find like a venue kind of place and, you know, kind of like get some food together or was it like in school somewhere or something or? Yeah. So it was mostly in classrooms. Oh, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did have a few uh, like alumni socials mm-hmm. at like bars and stuff, but mostly it was classroom events. Sometimes we book out a bigger classroom of um, one thing that we did that was really successful is called the real estate school. Yeah. This was kind of like our uh, signature program when I was the president. We actually won an award for it. So it was like every Saturday during the whole year or the whole semester, sorry, we had classrooms where it was like, first, like, what is real estate investing? And then like, how do you find deals? How do you underwrite deals? How do you research a market? How do you estimate rehab costs? How do you do this? How do you do that? So it was like a 10 week program and every uh-huh. week was a different speaker that we brought in. And then at the end, it was a shark tank where people would pitch their real estate investment to a group of sharks. Um, and so that was kind of like our signature series that it was a lot of work, but it was really cool. And, um, you know, so we had things like that where it was like a workshop we also had lectures. We had building tours where we would just tour properties. There's some really cool ones. Like we toured uh, one Dalton in Boston. That's oh, the Four wow. Seasons, mm-hmm. uh, right by the Peru. So it's I think like the third or fourth tallest building in the city. I think there's like a whole thing. Michael Dell's penthouse, his forty million dollar penthouse. We were actually up there when there was no windows or anything, like yeah. hundred stories up in Boston, and just you were up there like you could you were on the level of the Peru. That's and crazy. Could, and you just saw the whole world. 
and you were in these like janky exterior construction elevators that would like shake <laughs> and like rattle with the wind as you were going up. So it was really cool just to see that. I mean, like, you know, to see a building get built of that scale is just, it's like an absolute feat of human engineering and marvel. Yeah. That really is incredible, you know, to, to kind of see like all the, the work that goes into that, you know, and like be where you were, you know, hundreds of stories up and, you know, just kind of like look, get, I can imagine that view must have been out of this world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was paying for it. <laughs> One thing that I took away from that, it was really cool is every level, you had different guys working on different things. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. obviously you start with like the steel and then you frame it out and then you electrical wire it. And then you put up windows, then you drywall, plumbing, blah, blah, blah. And so like, as you went down the skyscraper, the units became more finished. So it was really cool. Like every time you went down a level, you were seeing a different process and they just all move up as a team together. But like, it's the same thing, you know, if one person falls behind, then the whole program is delayed. That's a really interesting lesson, man. You know, like just to kind of, like see how like a team like that would operate and see how you can implement that into your business you know and yeah just to kind of like yeah that's extremely interesting you know just kind of watch literally from the ground up i guess <laughs> yeah you know? and and, it's and just kind of keep yeah it's the same thing like this building i bought at 74 green hill parkway there's yeah. two vacant apartments and this is the first time basically every time an apartment has been vacant i just go in there with all my friends like a wrecking crew and we just do everything ourselves. Yeah. And we've had electricians come in. And so I've been pretty familiar with the electrical process of getting stuff replaced and new circuits and all that. But it's really just been me and for better lack of a better word, me and the boys. Yeah. And you know, my girlfriend, my cousin, some other people, but we just go at it and yep. just, you know, throw ourselves at it. But now I have two vacancies. My friends are all tired of that. You know, I'm really on my own with some help but yeah. now it's the time where i have electricians i'm sending them in and then their electricians are going to do their work i just had carpenters in we replaced all the hardware of all the doors make sure everything was secured and then now we're going to send in the painters they're going to paint everything then we're going to send in the flooring people and then we're going to put any finishing details in so you're now you're i'm starting to run the same process on these vacancies yeah and not not as well um I just had a conversation with a painter today. So in the perfect world, we would have been ready for September 1st. But the conversation I had is we're probably not going to have it painted until about September 1st. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to kind of do everything at once. Luckily, the floors are already in pretty good shape. So we don't have to put floors in because typically you'd paint it and then you do the floors because if there's paint on the floors, they can just take it right off. Oh, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, but we'll, so basically we'll have it, we'll do everything while it's being painted and then we'll have it cleaned and then it'll probably be ready for like September, the first week of September, it'll be ready. But that's just an experience. You know, if, if this, now, if I went into it, I would know that I have to schedule the painter right away. So we'd be already painting by now, but you know, you learn. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and like, just to kind of keep going through those experiences and picking up, mm -hmm. you know, like little details like that and, you know, yeah. just kind of becoming like a, a more well-rounded, um, you know, investor and stuff, like as you, as you go along, you know, just picking up little things here and there. And yeah, every time an apartment turns over, we've learned one more thing that we do. I mean, this is really basic, but the last apartment, we was the first time we took off the shower vent yep. and just cleaned the whole shower vent, which I'm sure as you know, as an HVAC guy, ductwork can get pretty gross. So it's very important <laughs> yeah. to clean that up, but that's not something that we've done before. So yeah. that's, that's something that we're adding into our program. Yep. You know, you put it on your checklist and then we have some other vacancies where there are no shower fans. And before we would have just left it. That's how it happened at the last one. But now I know that I'm going to need to get someone in there. I need to spend 600 bucks or whatever and put in that shower vent. So See, even like that aspect of it too, you know, just to kind of have like those rule of thumb numbers, you know, for experiences, it's like, Oh, you know, to paint this room, it'll be like X amount of dollars, you know, roughly, you know, and just be able to kind yeah. of do some like quick math and stuff you know, for like a shower vent, it'll be like roughly 600 bucks, you know, and just to be able to kind of walk around and, uh, you know, kind of be firing through that, um, you know, just from experience. Yeah. You don't get that on your first deal. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you get that on your third or fourth deal. That's yeah. where I'm at. You know, I'm on my fourth deal that I'm buying. So it's really starting 13 units. Now it's starting to come together. You know, I'm, I'm still at the point where I think I can manage everything myself yeah. with outsourcing, having landscapers, having cleaners, having painters, you know, it, in the perfect world, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I have, yeah. I now have a handyman that I've, I've been calling up and has done some small jobs for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to be a little more hands-off on a work basis. But, you know, still, I was down there today. I switched out some padlocks. I fixed a broken stair that was not there. You know, I'm still doing a lot of that stuff. But, you know, once you get to a certain scale, 10 units is a good number, too. That's where you start to kind of step back. Yeah, and take more of a management role. So, yeah, it's cool. It's good. It's a lot of fun. I, I realized that the other day, like, what I'm doing is a lot of fun. You know, you get to pick all these different characteristics of the building. You're picking all of the hardware for the doors. You're making these decisions that shape the building. Yeah. And it's all, you have all of the power in the world to do whatever you want within your budget. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the million dollar. <laughs> Real estate is so cool, man. <laughs> it is. It's expensive too. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've, I've got some money in the bank, but it's going to be just going out. All exactly. of it's going out. And it's going to take a while. There's a stonemason I had though. He's like, we've been talking about this job that we have to do. We have to repoint the basement. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I gave him a quote from this other company that'll just kind of slap mortar everywhere. They'll take mortar off, they'll slap around, you know, it'll be really haberdash. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he was like, Mike, I got your number here. I can do the same thing, but we've been talking about building this basement so it lasts a hundred years. Cause that's, that's the conversation we've been having is, I want to own these things for a long time. Let's do it right now. Let's make it last a hundred years. And so that's kind of always the trade-off that you have to make as an investor is you have to think about every dollar you spend, what are you really doing? Is it a long-term solution? Is it a short-term solution? Is it going to increase your rent? A lot of the times, most of the money that we spend is not to increase the rent. It's just to increase the structural integrity Yeah. for now. I mean, that's where our buildings are now. 100 years old, not always well-maintained. You have a lot of deferred maintenance. I mean, I have a bulkhead that I, it's just plywood. That's just, it's just a piece of plywood. I pick up the, I pick it up and I put it down and that's yeah. my bulkhead. <laughs> so like you have things like that where, you know, that's three grand to put a new bulkhead on, but obviously you need it, but it's not going to get me a single more dollar of rent, but yeah. you need a bulkhead. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. When you first buy a building, you have to set everything up the first time you paint it you should put really, really good paint in there because then all the future times you just do touch up. So you just go in there and touch it up here and there as opposed to having to repaint it every time. But you know, you're going to spend a few thousand dollars to get a really good painter to do a really good job. And then from there you kind of are more maintaining it. So every one of these trades, every item has this high upfront cost. And then hopefully it's more maintenance after that. And it's for everything, every single component of your building, your electrical, your plumbing, your carpentry, your paint, your windows, your, you name it, there's a cheap solution and there's an expensive solution that is, and you can sometimes have a contractor give you an expensive solution that's really a cheap solution because that's just the contractor and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make, make their money. And then you have some good contractors that give you better, cheaper solutions, cheaper than the other guys that are more permanent. Yeah. So you, that's the other thing is like finding people you can trust that you can work with. And that's, you know, certainly, um, it's not, it's not that bad. I, I think people see what I'm doing here. You know, they see that I'm a young guy. I've planted, I flag getting four properties. Um, and what's really nice is three of them are next to each other. And then the other one's a couple blocks away. Yeah. So, you know, I'm here to build long-term relationships, find people that I can work with in the long-term. I work with a lot of younger guys that are starting their own companies. Mm-hmm. So it's been good, um, you know, finding people that you can grow with. Of course. Yeah. It, that's something that's really interesting, man, you know, is just kind of looking at that, those long-term solutions, you know, for like those kind of problems and stuff. Like, I feel yeah. like, you know, just kind of like in the public eye, like that isn't really something that's 
talked about that often, you know, is like, you know, a lot of the stuff that's kind of, you know, I guess like, I don't even know how to word it, like under the table, maybe like kind of covered up, like hidden expenses, I guess you could say, yeah. you know, and like the stuff that, um, yeah, you know, that just kind of come up, you know, and having that like short temporary solution that might fix it now or having a little bit more expensive, sustainable solution, you know, to be able to have it long-term, you know, and like, I feel like that as well carries into, you know, like working with the contractors and stuff, you know, like just finding those like, you know, very special relationships, you Mm -hmm. know, with like a few people that will be like your go-to and just like really taking care of those guys. They take care of you, you know, and like you guys are in it for the long haul. Um, you know, and then on the other hand, you know, having some other cases that aren't really so sustainable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sometimes people will just try something on you just to see if they can. Yeah. Like I had this one guy, he gave me a quote for a 350 for this item that this other guy said would be a hundred bucks. And, um, you know, I think the guy's just like, here's a young kid, doesn't know what he's doing. Let's give him a high quote. And I was like, Hey, look, like I see your quote. I can't do this. Like it, doesn't make any sense to pay you this to do this. And then immediately he's like, all right, I'll knock a hundred bucks off. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I get it. Like labor, the cost of labor is a great example. That's a really, that's, that's where I'm starting to get to. Mm-hmm. And this is like an interesting sort of higher level conversation. When you first start, when you have your first building, you just say contractor, I need this done. Yeah. And they'll come in, they'll give you the, the price of the job and they'll do it. But I'm starting to get to a point where it's more contractor. I need this done. Here's all the materials. What's your labor cost? How long will it take? Oh. Because I can buy all the materials. That way I know it's the good material or a bad material. Yeah. You know, I'm the one making that decision. It's also design elements. Some stuff like I'm not going to, I'm not at the point where I'm buying the electrician's Romex wire. Yeah. or the, the outlet boxes because that's just like infrastructure stuff mm-hmm. but i'll buy the fixtures i'll buy the ceiling fans i'll buy the lights i'll buy the switches maybe um this carpenter is a great example i bought all the doorknobs i bought all the cabinet hinges i bought everything and i just said what's your labor cost and that's a really good way to know if someone's charging you 75 bucks an hour to do like basic stuff yeah you know that that's just ridiculously overpriced unless you're in a pinch and it's a short job, you know, I'll pay a handyman an hour to come in and switch a faucet out because for 75 bucks, because that's a specialized job. It's a pain in the ass. It's only a one-off, but I'm not going to pay him 75 bucks an hour for a day because that's what 75 times eight. That's $5,600 plus more plus five plus 40. So you're at basically at like $600 a day to do like whatever. You know, a guy should make 250, 250, 300 a day. Even like a specialized electrician makes 300 a day. Yeah. I mean, that's 1500 a week. That's more than I make. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you know, like, you gotta think of it that way. Like, especially yeah. if you have a job that's a whole week, it's like, I'm not going to pay you 600 times five. I mean, HVAC guys, you guys charge a lot sometimes. Yeah. You know, this one guy <laughs> quoted, he said $2,000 for two guys for a day. And that was his number. But that includes overhead, insurance, blah, 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 um, all that stuff. So, you know, these guys do have businesses they have to run. They do have overhead costs. They do have all these different items. So I do do appreciate that. And that's why you pay a little more for a guy who's licensed and insured because those are expenses that they have to incur. But, you know, you're getting higher quality of work. But, you know, within reason, you know, $40, $50. Some of these electricians are $50 or $75 a guy for an hour. But, you know, they'll work their ass off and they'll get a lot done in a day. You pay them 1200 for a day, but they give you like a full job's worth and you get a lot of stuff done. You know, yeah. it's worth it. Do you think it's just kind of a matter of like, you know, testing out like some of those different guys and stuff and, and just kind yeah. of finding like, I think that's incredibly interesting, um, you know, just to be able to like already kind of have the materials that you want and then just kind of having that question to ask everybody of like hey you know what's your labor cost look like you know like how many guys roughly like how long does something like this take and just being able to kind of like compare that with other companies and stuff do they ever kind of give you like a hot this is just out of curiosity 
So like if you buy the materials, do contractors ever like give you a hard time because of some of the materials or is it like a mutual like, hey, you know, like I bought like these fixtures, like, you, do you know what I mean? Like, do they ever kind of have an issue with like some of the stuff that the it consumer depends. pays I mean, for? I'm, I'm just starting to get into this. I've only done it on a few jobs now. Yep. I mean, my electricians, that's what we do. You know, they do everything. I do the fixture. Gotcha. That's pretty common. Mm -hmm. Same with these carpenters, you know, I'll buy the materials. Um, but other jobs like the HVAC guys, I'm not going to buy the HVAC system. Yeah. Unless I'm just a boss landlord with a hundred units and I have, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll buy the water heaters though. You know, yeah. I'll buy the water heater, you install it, stuff like that. And it's, I mean, they get it, you know, this isn't their first time doing that kind of thing. Um, obviously you want to make sure you have the right material. So I'll consult with them if I need to. Yeah. And it, it depends on the job. So that's a roundabout way of saying I'm still kind of learning the nuance with that. Gotcha. Okay. No, that, that's a good thing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. 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 Especially to, to just kind of, you know, be figuring that out, you know, with a lot of different aspects, you know, from the electrical to the plumbing to, you know, carpentry stuff and, and just kind of like learning that principle of, of how to use it all around, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'll say with the plumbers, a lot of them bring their own stuff. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess I could buy the valves, but like copper tubing is pretty, it's like copper tubing is similar to like an electrician's Romex. You know, yeah. it's just a ubiquitous standard, common, yeah. uh, standard item that every single person, um, you know, you can, everyone can go down to Lowe's and buy it. Yeah. Wow. So Michael, I do have a question here for you that I wanted to ask you. So how do you define wealth? How do I define wealth? Uh, for me, I'd say passive income. I mean, I'm not wealthy because, and this is everything, this is every real estate guy's problem. Every single dollar I have, I just put into real estate. And that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. You know, if I ever got to the point where I had a lot of cash standing aside, I'd probably just buy more real estate. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think wealth is at the most basic level, just a point where your, your cash income, cash flow exceeds your expenses. And then that's wealth. And then rich is like, maybe you have a lot of expenses, but you're covered them. So, and you know, there's the, that's the money answer. There's the family, the health, yeah. the friends, <laughs> you know, you can't just be a money guy yeah. and you can't be all about that. You know, I think there's value in having relationships that are business relationships, mm -hmm. but in maybe with your personal relationships, you don't get your businesses involved. Yeah. And you know, that's something that you got to learn and you learn every day. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I think you got to be well-rounded and, uh, you know, you can't just be a one trick pony. Yeah. So I'd say wealth is a well-rounded life where your, your income, your passive income exceeds your expenses. That's awesome. So, I love that. You're, you're totally logical. right. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, I'm not there yet. It could be, it could be a while before I'm wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> But hey, enjoying the journey is is a big part of it, right? Having yeah. fun, you know. <laughs> it's, it. it's it's fun. It's stress. It's it's learning. You know, you're always uh, you're always learning, and uh, you just gotta make sure you you. For me, it's like having time to exercise, having time to go to bed early and sleep my eight hours, spending time with my family, my friends, my girlfriend. You know, making sure that they're all um Happy. you know they're all set <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you're kind of building a life for yourself yeah you know i'm very much of the of the mindset that every single thing in your life is a is your decision you mm -hmm. know if you're not happy with something then you can make the decision to not have that in your life yeah and but it's also the same thing where it's you know you have to make the decision to make sure that you're you're spending time with your family and your friends because if I didn't spend time with them and I make the decision to focus on real estate, only real estate, then, you know, I'm just going to be this old guy with all of Mercedes Benz and, you know, driving by myself. So yeah. it's not really where I want to be either, but. I definitely see that. Yeah, man. I wouldn't yeah. mind having a Benz. 
<laughs> no, I, I totally see what you're talking about, man. I'm I'm starting to like really, really kind of, um, you know, start to think about that kind of thing. You know, like figuring out what a balance looks like. You know, yeah. in terms of especially working a full time job as well. You know, like. <laughs> You know, so yeah. there's like 40 plus hours that are already booked up, you know, and then like trying to, uh, you know, get a decent sleep for like, you know, the next days and stuff. And now you're already shaved down to what, like six hours or something like that. You yeah, know, it's crazy. To, yeah. You know, just trying to juggle like meals and like, you know, making sure like the you're on the way to your vision and stuff, um, you know, for real estate and everything and like things are going well as well as you know those relationships with like your family friends and and everything yeah it's it's really interesting i i feel like it takes kind of a while to to figure out that balance but i don't know i'm very yeah. very early <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're younger too you're like 21 right yeah uh-huh. yeah so when i was 21 i was it was a lot easier to focus on that stuff mm-hmm. so are you um so you work right yes full time in yeah. hvac mm-hmm. so that's 40 hours a week yeah we do like nine hour days what like 45 or yeah 45 i think okay so that's a lot and then you're also an agent right yes so what's that like (laughs) um i mean i'm still kind of pretty early to the process but you know usually you know at least a couple showings on the weekends and stuff i just put some buyers under contract last week so just kind of congrats through it thank you (laughs) it's it's been interesting but yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely, you know, taking up a little bit of time as well, you know, um, going for showings and stuff on Saturday, Sunday, I'd love to do it. You know, it's just kind of figuring out what that, what that balance is. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky too, because when I was your age, I was in school. So it was a little bit easier to have that balance. Yeah. But I also did co-ops and stuff. When I was in LA, it was nice. I had no responsibilities. That's awesome. I, just <laughs> and I got out of work. I went to the beach. Yeah, how was LA, man? That's 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 incredible. You know, getting an internship to LA. You know, just go there for eight months, no biggie. You know, yeah, it was was awesome. awesome. I spent the two months before my internship started. Yeah, I just kind of went to California. I didn't have a car, so I just you couldn't rent a car at twenty one. Oh yeah, you're right. On the bus, on the train, I saw like, you know, I went everywhere a couple times. I went to LA a couple times. Went to Vegas, Sacramento. I spent time in all the national parks so that was really just a great experience you know being on my own and yeah just out out there and it's quite quite the experience huh you're like both feet deep yeah <laughs> across I mean, the I just, country you know <laughs> i just had this like suitcase this rolly suitcase that that was it that was all i had yeah i had like two shirts <laughs> That's, that's quite the experience though. You know, I mean, just, the, yeah, honestly, like that, that's like growing up quick, man. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I don't know why, um, what, what was different about me that I kind of matured a little earlier. I, maybe as I had three older brothers. So my brothers are all seven or eight years older than me. Mm-hmm. So that might've helped, you know, I was, introduced to a lot of things earlier in the game yeah yeah you know, i was playing m-rated games when i was in like third grade <laughs> that was my you dream know? man i, I never yeah, got to that experience <laughs> we, took, we took the video game with the m-rating yeah and then we cut out the t from another yep. another game and then stuck we put the t cut out and we stuck it on there and my mom <laughs> thought it was t-rated <laughs> fooled you mom <laughs> yeah that was a good one to rock evolution with dinosaurs and guns and stuff really bloody game. so maybe that helps uh, yeah i don't know That's but it's, it's been good you know i'm 25 25 years young hell yeah and, uh, in a good spot so you know i'm excited right now like I just bought 13 units in a year they're all over 100 years old yep. they're all got a million problems getting everything stabilized, getting everything rented, getting all of the long-term issues dealt with. That's kind of where I'm at right now. The only properties I would see myself buying are ones that are directly next to my current portfolio. Keep buying the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's yeah. a lot of synergy from owning. I mean, I basically have been thinking that I really, you know, I want to own real estate everywhere, obviously, yeah. but I really think there's a lot of value in just buying in this one neighborhood. And maybe this is just my you know, 
naivete. But if I can just keep buying in this one neighborhood, I can really enact change. I can see a lot of synergy from a strategic perspective. You know, I can cut the grass and I just go down the street and cut the grass and then go down the street and cut the grass. You know, everything's close. Yeah. There's a lot of synergies from an operating perspective. And then, um, you know, I'm sort of building a community where I am. I have a lot of young professionals that are moving in, a lot of word of mouth marketing, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of good energy. So, you know, I could see myself flipping deals in other parts of the city. Maybe I would buy near WPI, some of the other universities I would yeah. consider buying there. Um, maybe some commercial in like downtown or something, mm-hmm. you know, this building I was looking at near WPI, that was pretty interesting. But from a residential perspective, I love the idea of just buying up this neighborhood. You know, it's a really beautiful neighborhood right next to this 500 acre park. You hop on Lincoln Street and you're on the highway, you can get to work. You're close to downtown, close to Shrewsbury Street. So I think it's a very undervalued part of this neighborhood, Yeah. Uh, part of the city. I hope not a lot of people are, li- I hope people are listening <laughs> because I want to get the word out. But I also hope that they didn't, you know, they're not writing down this address because it's still kind of a slept on area. Yeah. So I feel um I feel really good about where I am and I want to keep buying but right now it's you know you got to stabilize. You got to I got to secure my position. I got to get my operations down. Yeah. I have to get my business tight. You know you learn all these things that you have legal obligations as a landlord to do certain paperwork within certain time frames or else you can get screwed. You know you've got obligations legally for like lead paint mold stuff like that so you know you have you have to really provide a good environment for people yeah and it's great to just buy building after building but you're buying problems in a lot of cases if you're buying good deals which i've been able to buy some really good deals i bought some deals at market you know i just paid the dollar top dollar because hey that's what it's going for and i want real estate so i'm gonna buy it and so you know that's it but then you know, that's half my deals. That's 78 and 82. That was my, my deal and my brother's deal. Mm-hmm. Just paid top dollar, paid market. And hell, you know, we paid a lot, but there's still a million problems that we have to fix. But then we also bought deals that were more fixer-uppers. Yeah. And those have actually been better deals. Um, it's funny how it works like that. Like my parents, <laughs> my parents saw this last deal I bought and they're like, oh my God, this deal is a dump. But then when we got in there, it's like really actually nice you know yeah sure we have to paint it sure we have to do the floors sure we have to repair a lot of things but that's it i mean it's not like we're gonna like put a new electrical system in i had to do that in my first building it was this great deal it was beautiful building but it was all knob and tube yeah so boom there's 40k for full electrical wiring but you don't know that going in your inspection report says some knob and tube may be present Okay. Thank you. That's great. All right. What's that really mean? It means up there's 40 K, you know, to do that. But once that's done, I'm never going to have to worry about it again. You're right. Yeah. But that was the market deal. And then some of these off market deals, they have not modern, but not knob and tube. So I don't have to do any electrical work. You know, I maybe throw a circuit here and there, replace some fixtures, but I was walking through with my electrician and I was like, damn, that was, this was this morning. I was like, this is nice. You know, I'm going to pay you like a couple grand and we're going to swap all those ceiling fans out and that's it. So, you know, you, you do that. You, your first deal, you know, you don't do that. You have to pay the guy a ton. You learn everything because you need to put new circuits in. You have to throw a sub panel on your third floor, which involves sneaking a wire this big up your chimney chute. That's like not really big at all. Yeah. You're banging everything off and shoot it up there. So you do that. And then, you know, you have to, uh, you have to learn the hard way. Yeah. Honestly, like I hear, uh, Brandon Turner on the, the bigger pockets podcast, talk about it all the time as the tuition cost. Yeah. That's you know, it. Like, that's what I was telling a guy this morning, actually, you know, so like, like I said, I have walked away from two deals, unfortunately, you know, still looking whatever, but you know, I've, and it was during the inspection period. So you'd pay, you know, five, six, 700 bucks for the inspection, you know, depending on the size of the building age and, you know, whatever, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the amount of stuff that I've learned from, especially the first inspection, 
because like i was extremely like wicked wicked new to everything you know the stuff i picked up from that was in my opinion worth like the six seven hundred dollars i'm like yeah you know that sucks like i had to pay that and i had to you know walk away i don't have anything but like the all the there was like a list of stuff that i picked up from that you know that i'm gonna have for the rest of my life and same with this recent one you know like it was something as small as um actually I, i picked it up before but it didn't click for me but uh like my inspector was walking around with one of those small like voltage testers like the non-contact ones like you just put it on the outside of the wire and you know it'll light up so i decided to put that with my flashlight and stuff when i'm doing showings or you know walking through whatever so if there's like you know knob and tube and you're not sure if it's active or if it's just hanging around all right oh well that could be a potential problem you know or like stray wires or something like just like a lesson like that I'm like, that's worth the cost of the inspection in itself. I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life. You know, I'm like, just stuff like that. (laughs) I have to, I have to jump. I got that Woosocks game going to, um, that just on that point, that reminds me of three things. So I was in Lowe's earlier looking at Mm -hmm. those very same things. I'm going to buy one. That could save your life. Cause I have, I have a basement where that wiring, I had open wiring and that basement also floods. So you have water on the floor with open wires you know we took care of that immediately but that that could kill you actually you could die so you know you you, stuff like that it's the little things it is but you know you combine a couple variables and uh you know you got some you got yourself in some real trouble exactly Um, so the other two points that that remind me of for you kyle for your next step you get those inspections price everything out that's your next step Figure out what's serious, what's serious, price it out during your inspection period. So that's why you want a two-week window. You get your inspection right away. Then you spend the rest of the window calling contractors frantically, giving them pictures and saying, all right, this is it, this is it. What is it? What's the cost? And you should have a ballpark number of what your going in cost will be based on that. And then the third point is that's helpful, but you're not going to learn it until you pay someone to do it or until you do it yourself. That's how you really learn. Yeah. That's, that's really what I'm learning. Man, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and that's just one year in real estate. One year in real estate with Mike Horath. <laughs> you can turn that into its own uh own show, man. Yeah, get me on the uh bigger pockets rookie podcast. I'm ready. <laughs> you joke, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. All right, guys. That concludes our creating wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build together.